0: So we are continuing a series that we began about theology, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's possible that you have experienced all of those. Good theologies, bad theologies, and quite frankly, some ugly theology. I personally believe that theology should be good. I believe that good theology doesn't do harm. And I believe that good theology inspires and equips us to fulfill the gospel call. But there are a lot of different theologies in the world, and I'm just talking about Christianity. And so how do we determine if our theology is healthy and good? It starts with us examining from where do we get the inspiration for our theology, what we know and think about God and how God equips us to be Christians in this world. And ultimately, we're going to be thinking about how our theology functions not just the articulation of it, but how does it work in our hearts, in our minds, and ultimately, how is it enlivened in our words and in our actions? For that is the tone by which we live our lives. And today, we're gonna be talking about the branch of theology known as eschatology. You don't have to memorize that word. The word is is about the end of times. It's about the end of human history. You may have heard some people refer to this as the apocalypse. And so perhaps you've had an encounter with a Christian whose theology of the end times was filled with overtures of fear, trembling, woe be it to you. One of the things that I experienced growing up was about once a month, my family would travel down to Deep Creek, Chesapeake, and we would go visit my grandparents. And my grandfather was a deacon in the Southern Baptist Church, and they had a different tone to how they spoke about the end of the world. They talked about the end of the world as if it was something to be feared in that particular congregation. I will state that not all Baptists are the same, and not every congregation is exactly the same, ironically, much like Methodism. But there, I was exposed to some of the hellfire and brimstone theology of the end of times, and it didn't sit very well with me. I've never been a fan of theology that encourages or induces fear. My personal experience with God is that God is not trying to control us through fear, but that God is constantly offering us a relationship, an opportunity to be connected with the Almighty in a powerful and transformative way that allows us to truly be who we were created to be. It redeems us from our sin, and it encourages us to take our rightful place not just in this life and in this world, but in all eternity. And to me, that is about hope. It is about love and grace. And none of those things inspire fear in me. And every time I read the scriptures where it says, do not be afraid, do not fear, I feel the Holy Spirit going, pay attention to that passage. Do not fear. And what we got today was the quote from Jesus He's talking to his apostles. He's talking to those that have gathered to hear him. And he's trying to tell them about what the end will look like. Some of us really want to know the end, right? It's about the spoiler alert. Do you want to know how things are going to end? Some people want to hop right to that. Right after the episode—let me got do math here— episode 7 of Star Wars came out, that opening night, I took my son— and the very next time he saw his father, he said, guess what, Han Solo dies. And his dad's like, whoa, buddy, spoiler alert. You're not supposed to say that to me. Like, I need to know, like, whoa. And I said, okay, let's, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about why we don't want to spoil the ending. Let's talk about that because you're depriving somebody of an experience. And unfortunately, sometimes when you know the ending, it taints your experience, right? If you know what's going to happen, then you spend your whole time thinking, okay, I'm just waiting for that to happen. But Jesus says, you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when all of this is over. I don't even know. The angels don't know. The Son doesn't know. The Holy Spirit doesn't know. Only the Father. And some of us go, well, how can that be? How can Jesus not know when he's coming back? But think about it as the relief the releasing of a burden. Jesus didn't have to live his earthly life worrying about when that day would come or accidentally spoiling it. Instead, he focused on where he was, whom he was with, and his purpose. He didn't let anything stop him from doing that. And in all of his encounters, every single day of his 33 years of earthly life, Jesus would encounter people and give them what they needed. If they needed hope, he gave it to them. If they needed to be healed, he gave it to them. If they needed food, he fed them. If they just wanted to be in his presence, like Mary, he allowed them to bask in that. And so Jesus was very attuned to how he lived every single day. And that's the model he gives to us. He even goes back to the book of Genesis when he talks about Noah and the flood. And he said, right up until the day that the waters fell, nobody knew. Nobody knew it was coming. It just happened. And that's how it's going to be at the end of days. That same grandfather that I used to visit and who was a deacon in the Southern Baptist Church one time called me while I was a student in seminary. And I think I was in the middle of cooking, if I remember correctly, And I have my phone up to my ear and he's like, I need to ask you a question. And I said, okay. He didn't usually call me to ask me anything. If anything, he called me to talk at me. But here he wanted to ask a question. And he said, how do I know when the end of the world is gonna be? And I was like, right now, I'm cooking. (laughs) Right now? And I said, well, why are you so worried about that? You know, I mean, of all the things that my grandfather had going on, like, that's your big worry? My grandfather had emphysema. My grandfather had high cholesterol. Like, we had lots of other issues other than the end of times. But okay, this is where he was, so you have to meet people where they are. So I said to him, I said, well, you know, I, I kind of like what the Apostle Paul says. He says it's going to come like a thief in the night, and you won't know. And so you don't have to worry about it. He didn't like my answer. He goes, no, I want a sign. And I'm like, well, what kind of sign do you get that someone's going to break into your house, right? That's the reference that Jesus gives us. If you knew somebody was going to break in, you would catch them. You would stop them. But instead, we just have to be ready. We're called to be a people that are ready. Not ready to react, but ready to respond. And so eventually, my grandfather got around to, I need to have a sign. And I was like, okay, let me give you a sign says the temple has to be rebuilt before the Son of Man will return. I said, and you can't do that right now. There's a mosque on the Temple Mount. I said, so if anything ever happens to that Temple Mount, get on your knees and pray. And he was like, okay. I could hear him taking notes. I thought, this is so ironic. My Southern Baptist grandfather just called his female pastor daughter, granddaughter, and asked her to explain the Bible. Miracles do happen. but I I could hear the concern in his voice. I love my grandfather, and I could hear the pain and and the fear because he had grown up in a particular stream of theology that made him fear the end, made him fear his end, and it made him fear our end, when humankind would end. And that will just completely taint your existence. It will make you so obsessed that you won't be able to be present and joyful Have you ever had that experience where you were going to have to go somewhere and do something, but you had a block of time before you got there and you had to worry whether or not you were going to be ready or had you done everything. And so all the time before that was just killing time. You weren't present with people. You weren't really able to laugh and enjoy yourself because you were so focused on where you had to be and what you had to do later that it ruined the entire day. That happens to us if we become so obsessed about the end. And Jesus says, you don't have to worry about that. In the gospel account of John, Jesus gives these words to his apostles. They're gathered there in the upper room, partaking in the Passover Seder. And in the midst of this, Jesus tries to bring them some comfort. He says this in chapter 14, verse 25. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. He is trying to remind all of us, even now, that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to spend our time fearing our death, fearing death itself, and fearing what comes after. And in Methodism, there's not a lot of clarity about what happens afterwards. I would love to tell you that we have all the answers written in a book and I could hand it to you. But the closest I come is to handing you my Bible. That's about as close as I can come is to telling you what the answers are. And so we have to kind of develop our theologies and figure out what it is. But I have been given the gift of being with countless people as they have been dying. And I can tell you that the greatest gift that they gave their loved ones was their faith. That they knew God. They knew that God knew them. And they knew that no matter what happened after they took their last breath, that it didn't matter because God was with them. And just as Jesus said, he would come for them and take them where he was so that they would never be alone or abandoned. And they could use that for their strength, for their hope, and as their grounding. And that's exactly what Jesus gives to us. You don't have to worry about what to say as a Christian. Jesus tells you. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. You don't have to worry about What's going to happen when you die? Because I will be there with you and for you. You don't have to worry about that. So we have been freed not to have to constantly cram for some Christianity exam. We have been freed so that we don't have to constantly fear our own death. We have been freed to live. We have been given the gift of allowing ourselves to live, to embrace this moment. All throughout history, people have been so focused on the end, and they always thought they knew. The Aztecs thought they knew. They didn't even know when their end was. You had people in 1844 in this country that gathered on a hillside because they had been adding up numbers in the Bible, and they were convinced that they knew when Jesus was coming back. And guess what? They were wrong. Do you know what happened? They gathered and they waited and they waited. And that became known as the Great Disappointment because it didn't happen for them. Disappointment? If that had happened, we wouldn't be here. If that would happen, my mother wouldn't have a grandson. If that had happened, then all of the joy that you have known, that you are experiencing, would never have happened. And can you believe when you look back that there were countless Christians that wanted to urge the end of the world into existence? Why? Why would we want to lose this gift of these days? Everybody thought in 1844, everything is so bad, God's just going to have to end it. We hadn't even had the Civil War. Or War I, or the Great Depression, or World War II, the Holocaust, not to mention countless other wars that have taken place since World War II. September 11th. We have thought, consistently throughout time. It can't get any worse. This has to be the apocalypse. And we've been wrong. And then 2020 happened. And how many of us thought this has gotta be the end? (laughs) I am gonna die alone in my house because this is horrible. We experienced something that brought some of us to the lowest point we have ever been in our lives. But then there's today. How amazing did it feel to walk into this room? How amazing did it feel to look out and even behind masks recognize people? How amazing is it to be back in a space that's only purpose? It was constructed and consecrated to house God and you. How amazing is that? So 2020 has come and gone, the world didn't end. But you will hear and encounter people every day that have that mindset and it's like a sickness. It's almost like a cancer of theology that makes them fear. And you are not those that fear. You are a beacon, you are a lamp. You are the light of Jesus Christ shining in this world. And you need to be confident in how your light is going to shine, knowing that how you speak and act and how you love another person is going to help them develop their theology. You are in a position now to change how people experience the grace of Jesus Christ. And people are hungry for hope their souls cry out for grace. And for those of us that have been so blessed to experience the hope of Jesus Christ, to know what a blessing it is to be a person of God, then we have to let others find their place. Help them, give them some hope, share with them what it means. But at the end of the day, I can't convey to anybody watching what it feels like to be in here. I can't tell somebody what it is to be in this space. There are some things in this world that you just have to come and see. Like the woman that came to the well, all alone in the hot of the day, to avoid other people because every time she saw them, they mocked her and they made her feel less than. She came to do what was necessary for every day at the worst time to do it. But one day she was rewarded by seeing and hearing Jesus Christ. And the first thing she does is go back into the village and say, you have got to come and see this. You have got to come. Her invitation transformed her village. She said, this guy knows me. He knows who I am. And he's having a conversation with me and he's revealing the mystery of the scriptures to me. And she could have kept that and become very Gnostic and said, I have the knowledge and I'm privileged over other people. Thank God she didn't. She went back and said, you have got to come meet this guy. He is incredible. You eat. Come and see. And they did. You are the next generation of heralds. You are the ones that will have to remind people to come and see. You are the ones that will have to show people your relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can find hope. Maybe I can have it too. They always seem to find joy even in the midst of struggle and suffering. Maybe I can too. It's a place where they greeted each other and loved one another. Maybe they'll do that for me too. And that's what the church has to be. When you strip away all the committees and you strip away all of the work and the labor that goes into keeping it pretty or making it work, at the end of the day, the church is a family, and we are always looking to expand our family and to let more people have a seat at the table and to come and see and meet our Lord so that all of us can be blessed and all of us can know that we don't have to fear and we don't have to be afraid. Not only is Jesus with us, but we are with one another. Thanks be to God.